0: So like the free market versus social spending debate is a sham. It's not an either or, it's a how. How is a country leveraging its free market to invest in its people? And America has not been doing a good job in that regard compared to other places.
1: Everybody and welcome to episode numero three of We Hate Politics, a podcast where we don't really hate politics, we just hate what it does to policy. My name is Brandon McCoy, and I am here with my lovely compatriots. First off, Oren Jacobson, live from the city of Chicago. How are you doing?
2: I'm well. How are you, friend?
1: Doing lovely. Nice to hear your voice. Uh, we also got Katie Brennan from the great state, the Garden State, New Jersey. KB, what's up?
3: The one and only. I'm swell.
1: It's a little hot today, right?
3: It's it's like Hades. It's, <laughs> it's, it's subtropical. It's That's like right. Florida now. It's terrible, actually. Go. New
1: Jersey, always worried about people <laughs> moving to Florida. No, no, no longer nope. a consideration. Florida no, came, no
3: came to us. that's
1: right and last but not nearly least mr aaron carr in manhattan how you doing my friend doing well thank you is it it also subtropical across the river
0: very subtropical maybe not as bad as new jersey but pretty bad
1: (laughs) i don't know how to take that oh man um well finally in episode three we get to the conversation that we wanted to when we originally thought about this entire enterprise which was a conversation around sort of free markets and how they operate, which might seem a little bit random, but um, we thought about it just because of all the ways in which the country is struggling to handle the current crises it is facing, um, the ways in which obviously not only have we failed to invest properly or anywhere nearly fully in not only our assets, but our people as a nation, as a society. And when when you consider what, uh actual free markets are and nations that do a good job of operating free markets uh aaron you shared the heritage foundation uh, actually puts out a ranking i guess every year saying what are the freest markets in the in the world and uh america is not at the top of that list or really anywhere near it um and so why is that what does an actual healthy free market look like what are the ways in which the american market is not free despite people and certain political parties saying it's the freest in the world and you know free markets free people all that bumper sticker nonsense um but then also i think you know the second half of the convo we'll get into a little bit is just if america did have a free market a healthy free market what would that actually look like but first off aaron this has been your like big thing that you and i talked about for months uh you just want to sort of start off with you know how do other countries actually do free markets and what does a healthy free market actually look like because clearly we don't have it here in america that's for sure well you know in my view a healthy market is one
0: that invests in its people and a shit market is one that views its people with like this high level of skepticism you know particularly people of lesser means as not being worthy of investments and like many americans don't realize That the perennial question of whether we should solve societal problems through the free market or through social programs is a false dichotomy that has long been answered by places like Scandinavia, which leverage the free market not to hoard capital like America but to raise tax revenue for social programs. And not just any kind of social programs, but like the most expansive, the most impactful, and the most life-changing programs in the fucking world. Like free college, free graduate school, universal healthcare, cradle to grave policies, and it is like through those investments that the Nordic countries have become among the most successful countries in human history. Because like when you have your education and your healthcare and your basic necessities met, you can do amazing things. But then like the naysayers will say that America isn't Scandinavia. And America is not an homogenous nanny state that just gives things away to people like we are Americans. We are not homogenous nannies. And like the nanny Nordics will sacrifice their own interests. is like the American perspective to help others. But like in America, like we don't do that because we believe in individuality.
2: Yes. Yeah, so actually, I, I want to take one one quick step back. Ultimately, what frustrates all of us is that the idea of a free market in America in particular is fake news. What what we have in America on most of the major uh, marketplaces is not a free market, right? In the aftermath of World War II, the federal government dramatically expanded its support of, uh, of insurance for banks to, so that banks would expand loans so more people could buy homes. At the same time, the government systematically decided it was going to lock out Black Americans from that proposition. Is that a free market? I nope. think the answer is unequivocally no, <laughs> right? So like, that's what we're talking about here. And the 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 reason this matters so much is because the problem is that um, some people in America like to make this argument about free markets as the alternative to policies that are intended to create broad-based gains across the society. But when they're saying the free market is the right way to go, mm-hmm. what they're really saying is, the people who have control of the system right now ought to continue to benefit from it.
0: So like I'm gonna go a little bit long here because this is super important to to deal with. Like this is a pervasive myth that America uses to prevent like Scandinavia like social programs. And on a scale from zero to bullshit, it is fucking bullshit. Like it is the height of bullshit, the epitome. Of bullshit. Like it is bullshit layered on top of bullshit layered on top of bullshit. Like it is bullshit. So like, let's use Sweden as an example. Sweden is in a homogen- is not an homogenous country. It is one of the most diverse countries in Western Europe. Like here are some statistics. In 2015, 163,000 asylum seekers, mostly Syrians, Afghans, and Iraqis reached Sweden. Sweden has just 10 million people. That makes it the largest influx ever recorded by the OECD the share of immigrants and their descendants in Sweden represent about a third of their country. And 20% of Sweden is not white. So it is not an homogenous place. And the next point I'm going to make is so important that like, don't listen to anything I'm about to say in this podcast, except for this. Like this is the most important point that one could ever make because it is, it really speaks to this myth that America uses to prevent these programs. Sweden is not a nanny state. The Nordic countries, don't spend big on social programs because they are selfless. The Nordic countries spend big on social programs because they are selfish. (laughs) Like from the perspective of a Nordic, Mm -hmm. my taxes pay for top-notch services for me, healthcare for me, a free education for me. Like the Nordics have having their basic necessities met, like having their basic necessities met, because when you have your basic necessities met, you can work hard, you can work smart, and you can get in the effing game. And like the Nordic model doesn't make the Nordics lazy. In fact, fact, it makes them competitive. There's a study by the Global Competitiveness Report, they call it, where Sweden is ranked the eighth most competitive country in the world, and Denmark is 10th. So because of these social programs, right, Scandinavia is investing in people, investing in their societies and investing in human dignity. And that is what makes them competitive, uh, you know, pleasant places to live in. And that is just so important to emphasize uh, just to the maximal degree, because these myths that, you know, that when you have social programs, it, people are going to get less competitive and they're going to, you know, not going to work as hard. The Scandinavians have appended that notion. We should recognize that.
1: Mm hmm. And I guess, you know, you, you break, you broke it down into really three areas. You said healthcare, you said education, I think you said housing. Um, And Katie, you were making the point before of just, you know, free markets generally aren't great for merit goods. But if you operate a free market to build the revenue to invest in merit goods, then you're, you're on the road to success, right? So like, is, is, the way do, do we look at these other countries and how they invest in housing and particularly as something that we want to do in America, or is it a mix between what we currently do and what they do?
3: I would say that we we do want to look at these other countries that are freer markets than the United States is. And, and it's not that we don't do that here. It's just we we're doing it for whom. So hmm. building on what Aaron said. These free markets—the idea of it's a this mythos that it is a freedom of choice—but it's not. It's it's not really a freedom of choice because in the U.S. we end up having this ruling class that is making all of these corporations that are making all of the rules for themselves. In a free market, we would we would all get choices. We would get a lot more choices. I can choose what you know. I prefer strawberry to cherry, but in the United States, the makers of cherry could just squash the makers of strawberry and say, you're not going to do that anymore. And And then I don't get to choose it. And I think that you see this in the housing market. So who is getting a free market? Who is getting this? What we would think of as like, oh, welfare, nanny state, subsidization. In the United States, it's people with money. People with money get more money. So, you know, if there's six hundred billion dollars worth of home sales in a year in the United States, that is so subsidized. If there's six hundred billion dollars of home sales, fully one sixth of it, one hundred billion dollars, is going to going to be a mortgage interest deduction. So that is welfare for the rich. The mortgage interest deduction is all around a silly idea it is not making people buy houses they're already going to do that so people say okay well property and free markets and i'm going to buy a house and i'm going to have my space no 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 you are getting subsidized by the not only the mortgage interest deduction but also the but also that your mortgage is probably federally backed so this is like mm-hmm. okay If every time I sold $600 worth of toilet paper, the government was actually paying $100 back for that. But they're not doing that for soap. They're only doing it for toilet paper. It's like doing it for tacos, but not burritos. And housing is just valued so high. But part of that is because we're not going to let it fail. What if we were doing the same thing for rental housing?
1: Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. So I guess a lot of times when we hear about free markets, the point is, like, we – we, or I guess we, when we hear about the American free market, it's like, we need this because we don't want to pick winners and losers, but we already are.
3: We already are picking winners and losers, and the winners are making it so that they continue winning. Right. <laughs>
0: and, yep. and, like, here's what conservatives get wrong. I, you mentioned before the Heritage Foundation, the con- very conservative think tank, right, dedicated to promoting the free market, like each year they rank the freest markets in the world. And Singapore is number one. And like that, that is, it's just such an important thing to hone in on here, because this is a place where the vast majority of housing is public housing. (laughs) It's public housing Mm -hmm. stock is home to approximately 80% of its population. The Heritage Foundation ranks America as the 17th (laughs) freest market in the world. So to put it like another way, According to the ultra-conservative think tank, the Heritage Foundation, Singapore, the public housing capital of the world, has a significantly freer market than the supposedly rugged capitalistic nation of America. Singapore just uses its free market not to hoard capital, but to pay for things like public housing. So like a free market versus social spending debate is a sham. It's not an either or, it's a how. How is a country leveraging its free market to invest in its people? And America has not been doing a good job in that regard compared to other places like Scandinavia, Singapore, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Because administration is not the same thing as socialism or really the reverse. Socialism is not the same thing as administration. In order to have an actual free market, you have to administrate the allowance of competition and freedom. And Mm -hmm. it, it so often gets perverted as, well, any kind of regulation, any kind of rules and guidance is socialism, when really that's not the case. Right, it's
1: just actually it's it's making an open
3: competitive playing field. Like it's like it's almost
1: just both.
0: It's like social security is socialism, right? And you know, providing universal health care, you could say that's socialism, and providing housing is socialism, but they're raising money for socialism through the free market. Like these two things are very much compatible, and Scandinavia and Singapore proves it. And the Heritage Foundation and other conservative think tanks have like this glaring contradiction that they have to contend with because they're celebrating Singapore, but Singapore is spending money on things that they say will ruin the free market. But clearly it hasn't ruined the free market. If Singapore is still
1: the freest market in the world. (laughs) Right. And so to Orin's like really like specific point, I mean, I think a lot about instances where we are having, I've been very worried about the growth of monopoly power in the country for oh, quite yeah. some time. And like, you know, obviously you can talk about Amazon and Google and Facebook and all that, those are like the obvious ones. But like I remember like not even 10 years ago, learning about um, Bloom Energy, which is like a you know, Bloom Energy company created a, basically like a fuel cell uh, to help power individual homes at like a 10th of the cost of what people are paying and I forget who, but somebody just bought them out because they didn't want to have to deal with that competition. And that happens all over the place. And so that's not freedom of choice. That's not a free market either If just whoever is already in a position of power and influence and already has the necessary funding can just go ahead and say, OK, that that you know that potential future competition is starting to get a little big. I'm just going to buy them out. Right. And the only way that we can possibly defend that from happening because we don't have very robust antitrust policy in this country right now, is because is by the person who get who's being offered to be bought out just having the wherewithal on the spine to say no, right. But flash those dollars, and it becomes very, very hard for people to say no to that type of stuff. Um, but we just want to continue to like, make sure that we are highlighting the fact that this, this country is not really what it says it is. Was that sort of what you're, you're saying? It was fake news, Oren, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the simplest way to, to put this is we are deciding as a country what type of marketplaces we want to set up. Aaron talks about the Scandinavian marketplaces. Those those countries have decided that on some very basic things, housing, healthcare, education, they want to invest heavily into people's basic needs because they know that when people have good healthcare have stable housing and have access to good education, it generates economic benefits over the long term for everybody. The debate really isn't about whether or not we have a free market or not a free market because the truth is there really is no such thing as a free market. Every marketplace has a set of rules. The question is what are the rules and who benefits from them and who gets to make them? And that fundamentally is the problem in America because the rules are being made by a select group of people that group of people continues to benefit exponentially from the rules of the marketplace itself. And so I think that is the underlying frustration we all have with the idea. And by the way, it is one of the areas in which I think we could fairly point to, uh, you know, the left and progressives as a a real struggle in communication to the center and center right of the country uh, that allows this idea to keep going unchecked.
1: Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you having a ton of conversation in around around um, austerity budgeting right now, because it's just assumed, Oh, we're in a recession. We should pull back on spending. That's what we always do. But what we're, do, what we're really doing is pulling back on spending on public programs and broad based assets and investments, but we are still propping up major corporations by just offering them loans and tons of low interest, you know, um, programs for them to continue to operate at the level that they are. We just did work.
3: the airlines and right, right. yeah, <laughs> we had, we had done the auto industry, the banks, and now we've done the airlines as well. Right. And, 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 that and the, yeah, go ahead. you didn't, let, we didn't let them fail. We didn't let them fail. If you wanted to say, oh, you're a business and you should be able to support yourselves and competition, we're not letting them compete.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And second you know, right. In 19, uh, in the 1940s, 1942, President Roosevelt passes the wage stabilization act. The reason he does that is he's worried about runaway inflation in the middle of World War II. Pretty logical thing to do to try to control runaway inflation in the middle of a world war when your economy is at full capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. But so what do businesses do as a result? Businesses start to offer more by way of benefits as a way to attract and retain consumers. Twelve years later in uh, in 1954, you have a clarification of tax treatment of employee benefits, which then leave employee benefits as largely tax deductible. You want to know what the largest tax deduction in America is uh, year in, year out to the tune of almost 300 billion? The answer is businesses' tax deductions for healthcare. And so I point this out as a way of saying the employer driven uh, model of healthcare is an accident. And the way in which healthcare then gets distributed within the framework of that marketplace was never intentional, and this is the outcome. And now the result is everywhere you look in the healthcare system, there are disincentives towards cost efficiencies and incentives towards cost increases throughout the system as a, as a bug, as an accident of policy. And so that, that's ultimately the challenge we face on so many levels, whether it's housing, healthcare, uh, uh, education, or even something like food and how we subsidize and pay for agriculture in this country.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, not to get back into previous conversations we've had, but I think the overarching frustration with, that I have with a lot of this is that you know, when we talk about how do we invest in communities, oftentimes we hear we don't have the money. And it's like, well, the boom period of this nation was based on higher tax revenue, higher tax rates to generate these funds to invest in these programs that at the time, mostly or only white Americans were able to take advantage of because of other communities being locked out. Now we wanna do the exact same thing now. And we're being told, whoa, 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 how dare you propose anything above a 10% tax rate, and, right? Like that's that's crazy. And this is so important because you know, people will come back
0: and be like, well, we'll never be like, you know, this, the Nordic countries because we're too individualistic. And back to my point before, it is such bullshit because there's just no way the Scandinavians would pay all that money in taxes if they weren't benefiting from it as individuals. Like, it's nice to think that this is all driven by altruism in those countries, but that is a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And like all fairy tales, it's bullshit. And this is why the Nordic model is possible in America, because America is 50,000 times more selfish than Scandinavia. So, like America is ready for this. We're ready to have really good programs that help people. Yes, collectively, which is my main interest, but also as individuals. And the result of the Scandinavians or the Nordic countries policies is that if you live in Scandinavia, if you are born in Scandinavia, you hit the jackpot. And why is that one may ask two words, social mobility and social mobility, right? The movement of people either up or down the socioeconomic ladder, the, the global social mobility report, which they release, I think they release every year. They recently released it, uh, which is produced by the World Economic Forum, studied this and they ranked 82 countries by their level of social mobility. And what did they find? Denmark, number one in the world for social mobility, Norway, number two, Finland, number three, Sweden, number four, Iceland, number five. So Scandinavia takes the top five slots. And what about the United States? 27th. We rank 27th on social mobility. And that's just like the utter importance of investing in your people. You will have better markets. You will have better societies and you'll have better futures. And that is an empirical statement. But, and but, but,
2: socialism, Aaron. Yeah. Socialism. <laughs> I know. But Katie, go ahead. Then I want to
3: follow up Right. Orin. yeah, people think that, oh, that would be an entirely different structure than we have now, but it wouldn't be that hard. Medicare, Social
0: Security. It,
3: right. Before, yes. Those are sweeping <laughs> programs. But when the FDIC and the SEC were enforced before the 80s, you had 90% of people earning the most money. And now, you know, the, 80, the 80s hit, there's tax reform, there's all these other things that happen, and now it's the other way around, where 10% of the people earn 90% of the money. So we thought like, oh, in the 80s, we really, it, that's that's free market, that's, you know, Reagan free markets and all this kind of stuff, but it actually became less free. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we have things we could utilize. It's not like we have to upend everything.
1: Is part of this an issue of scale, though? Even to even after making that point, because so so two things that are in my head right now is one is all of those Nordic countries. Sweden is the most populous, and it is nine million is almost ten million people.
3: It's the same. Denmark is
1: five point seven million, right? Finland is five point four million. You know, friggin Iceland is three hundred thirty eight thousand people, right? Like, there's a scale issue there, and oftentimes, even when I'm chatting with legislators and lawmakers and you know government officials about we need to raise more revenue even in their darkest moments they'll be like or their quietest moments they'll be like yeah i agree with you but i have concerns around delivery right like are we is is our system actually set up to, to to direct these resources in the most efficient you know productive manner and Usually my answer is no, we could definitely definitely be better on that front, but that came to us as as an excuse to not raise the funds, to not yeah. raise the revenue to give us the opportunity to do that. But yeah. just to stick to the scale question for a section for a, for a minute here, like is it a problem that we're over three hundred fifty million people in this country or about and Sweden's ten million and we're trying to do what they're doing? No. no. To go
3: back to what Orin said about the food and ag subsidies, though, we are doing it at scale. You know, we for example with EpiPens, with healthcare. Mm -hmm. From a few years ago, there was that kerfuffle where EpiPens were going to be $600 a pen, you know? And that was because there was a systematic effort for one company, To have the monopoly on the EpiPen, and then assist, and not just that, but a systematic effort to make sure that schools were required to have them, and that they were only sold in packs of two instead of one, and all kinds of other things. Similarly, with with food and all kinds of other big, big structures in the United States, corn is subsidized at scale around the whole country. And that is why certain things like chips are cheaper than other vegetables. So it's not that we can't do things at scale. We just need to choose to do them.
0: We Also, we may have a scale problem, like if America, you know, was, you know, would be responsible for delivering all of these programs, but that's not how it would happen. America would fund it. America, the federal government would you know, set requirements and standards, but it would be the states, right, which are a lot of states have similar populations or smaller populations, way smaller Mm. populations than, you know, places like Sweden. So at the end of the day, Mm. it's going to be states that will be delivering the product. But also Germany, right, has 83 million people and Germany has a universal healthcare system and Germany Mm. has an affordable education, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like we can, you know, we can also point to very big countries that, you know, do a pretty damn good job of providing social services to their populations.
2: Yeah, the the answer to the question is you need revenue and you need systems. I don't know why anybody on earth would think that all you need to do is raise money. It's it's you know it's sort of like the Medicare for all thing just as an idea is not a one-stop fix to the entire problem. If you just make one payer on top of this entire system and change nothing else, you're going to get some efficiencies, but you're not going to drive down the cost of healthcare to be equal to the rest of the world. Yep. The major difference in America versus these other countries when it comes to healthcare is they set up their systems intentionally a long time ago and set up the funding mechanism along with the delivery mechanisms in an intentional way whereas if we just automatically move to a one you know to a single payer option and we don't change anything else about the system you know we might have a single payer medicare for all model but that doesn't all of a sudden mean we're going to go from paying 10,000 per person to 5,000 per person just because the other countries do. So the system, the system matters. But it's not as if you can't look across the world and find examples of large-scale systems that work. You know, to Katie's point, we're, we, we subsidize the price of corn. We subsidized it to the extent that uh, for a low-income individual who's getting SNAP benefits from the government, they can get about 3,000 calories worth of potato chips and 300 calories worth of grapes, right? That's a, that is a system-wide decision. But on top of that, the way that that market is being regulated or rather in this case deregulated is driving family farmers out of business for the benefit of a handful of very large multinational companies. And those are all decisions that are being made inside of the marketplace.
1: Yeah. So considering all those points, I think just it's time to get to the question of what does a healthy American market actually look like? Um, you know, Elizabeth Warren, during the debates, she would often say, you know, I'm a capitalist. And I think she was trying to make the point um correct me y'all if you think i'm wrong here but i think she was making the point which i agree that america hasn't really had real capitalism we've had a frankenstein's version of capitalism that's perverse and as we've discussed you know tilted in favor of those who already are in positions of power and influence and 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 those who already have resources but we had actual capitalism uh that actually promoted competition with a sort of floor uh, to prevent people from falling too far below, um, that that would be better for the country. Um, yeah, obviously, there's people who disagree with that. I think that capitalism in and of itself creates, you know, poor incentives that no matter what you do, you're gonna get bad outcomes. But like, what does a healthy American market actually look like? You know, how, how do we actually make some changes to move towards what we're talking about, the things we want to see? I could be gay unless.
3: Yes, Aaron. Does the answer
2: involve zombies? <laughs>
0: no, it doesn't involve zombies. It involves cobblestones. cobblestones. It involves football. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a football game. I mean, like in football, what are the expectations? Uh, it's, you're going to work hard. You're going to work smart. You're going to run fast. You're going to tackle hard. You're going to score touchdowns. And you're going to fucking win the game. But in football, unlike the American capitalist system at times, and sometimes much of the time, there are rules. And there are boundaries. And there's a referee. And if you break the rules and you don't play fair and you cheat, uh, in other words, you play like a dirty capitalist, (laughs) there are consequences and there are penalties because rigging the game of football isn't football, it's crony capitalism. And I think like what America needs badly is a better referee. It needs stronger antitrust enforcement. It needs more accountability. It needs a level playing field. Uh, Our country spends nearly $50 billion a year on business tax incentives to attract corporations. And as countless studies have shown, America gets very few jobs for these benefits. Like these are giveaways and giveaways ruin football because it creates this, this rigged uh, playing field. So what we what we need more than giveaways is investments, right? Because like in football, when a player gets injured, right, on the field, um, universal healthcare, right? There's the sports universal healthcare system, we'll call it. Uh, is adopted, and it will help the player off the field because it doesn't just let the player die on the field. It picks the player up. It makes them get better so they can get back into the game. So like something that America could be doing right now is universal health care, and that would allow people to live up to their true individual potential, uh, and we would make America a more competitive and pleasant place to live, just like the Scandinavian countries, Germany, and many countries in Western Europe. So that's how I would frame it. I
2: think yeah. it's kind of interesting that you you chose football and the reason that you did because because I think you know there there's a, to stay in a sports metaphor for a second. There's an interesting comparison between the NFL and Major League Baseball, which is to say, you know, in Major League Baseball, the there are very distinct haves and have-nots. And it's not to say it's impossible for a have-not to win. It's just very hard for a have-not to, to win and stay competitive over a long period of right. time. And you very infrequently come from the bottom to the top quickly. Whereas in the NFL, there are a lot more regulations, so to speak, around salary caps and salary floors and the distribution of revenues between the players and the and the teams and then the structure of the league itself. And one of the things that makes the NFL – I think so uh, in demand in America at this point in time is you're no, you're, you're two to three seasons away from a Super Bowl at all times. It's not infrequent for small market teams to go from the seller to being very competitive, very quickly, notwithstanding the very real problems from a labor market aspect inside of the, inside of the NFL. I'm not putting them up on a pedestal. All I'm saying is if you look at two sports, as an example, uh, you know, we have the nostalgia for American baseball. That's America's free market. And then the NFL is much more like, to your point, these Scandinavian countries that have a system in place that enables more social mobility in the league itself.
1: As a Yankee fan, I don't know if I appreciate your implications, <laughs>
2: um, but I understand them. <laughs> I How can anybody be a Yankees fan and be a progressive?
3: Yeah, thank listen. you, Oren. That's like, oh.
1: listen, I grew up in North Jersey. Okay. Is that the Yankees or the Mets? What you want me to pick? Anyways.
3: i want to rise above that, Brandon. Okay. No. So continuing on the football metaphor, which I cannot speak to truly at all, but I'm going to pretend that I can build on your example of <laughs> the way that, the way that players are selected. Something that I do know about football is that there's a draft and that it's heavily orchestrated and, if we're thinking about what a healthy american market could look like one of the things that's been suggested is that what if workers chose 40% of the board seats right now you have ceos and that get to enrich themselves and they're making a board that can work for them and All the company does is make sure that it makes money for themselves and those people at the very, very top. When instead, if there was more freedom and workers got to, those of us working at all of these companies got to pick who was going to make the decisions and who was going to do the plays, run the field, throw the ball, whatever, um, it would be... (laughs) It would be a lot different. It would be a free market that works for the people. And moving
2: away from the sports analogy, I think you're starting to like sort of flesh out some of the specifics yeah. here, right? Like,
3: I, like have, orange. No, <laughs> nice. Well, well
2: played. Um, right, but you, right. There are uh, healthy labor laws which protect workers' rights. There is a healthy amount of regulation which ensures. Uh, healthy competition in the marketplace, right? The opposite of of mass consolidation. Aaron brought off antitrust as an example. Uh, So sufficient regulation that ensures uh, that there is uh, protection for communities and consumers from products and services that also ensures that people are playing by the same set of rules and regulation that enable and promote competition competition is good for consumers competition drives down costs to your point representation in in terms of in terms of the board would obviously be helpful but I, i'll make this a, a more simple framework we have a very screwed up revenue share agreement between workers and owners in america we have a very screwed up revenue share agreement the people who are actually responsible for generating revenue in america receive not nearly enough compensation for their revenue generation, right? The, the Republicans love to run around talking about job creators. Well, the workers are the people who generate the revenue and the revenue share is broken. Mm -hmm.
3: Right now you have people to go to a, a coronavirus related metaphor. You have people with a toilet paper castle, and then they're paying people in individual squares of toilet paper and saying, you know, you too can build this castle, but you can't because you're never going to get there with those kinds of resources.
2: I'd like to probably that that's a pretty, that's a pretty shitty deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well played. Well played. Um, so I, I mean, I, I mean, obviously I, I agree with all of these points, I guess, how do we get there, right? I guess, I mean, and then maybe that's too big of a question, because how we get there is a mix of, you know, reinvigorating our electoral politics, you know, improving uh, policy around making sure um, people have access to vote and are not disenfranchised a crazy amount, making sure you have actual competitive elections, which I'll just say, hint, hint, in New Jersey, we do not, um, making sure that you actually have systems that are delivering services well. But I guess that's the real question I want to ask here is this is like almost a chicken or the egg thing to me sometimes It's because in order to convince people that we need to do these things, sometimes they need to see that it's possible, right? Um, and because they haven't seen their tax dollars be put to the best use, they think, hey, I don't want my taxes to go up, uh, forget the whole thing. And then they buy into the sort of the conservative, but I would say, you know, almost nihilistic arguments of well, let's just not increase taxes at all. And we're just gonna have the system that we have and forget it. So like, if there, was the, if there was one thing you could do, what would be the first thing you would do to sort of move us on, you know, onto this road of improving the structure here?
3: I have a very quick comment and then I'm gonna kick it yeah. to you, Brandon. I, I'm gonna say that if we made sure that lobbyists did not have an outsized role in quashing competitors, that would be that's a very real step that we can take of making sure that you are making a more free and open playing field. But something that was brought up a few minutes ago, we kind of danced right over, is one of your very favorite topics: tax incentives for businesses. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me what you would do with that. Speaking of tax revenue, and no one wants their taxes to go up.
1: Yeah, just like quick lesson, history lesson here, in New Jersey. Coming out of the Great Recession, rather than making like sensible choices of you know, yes, cutting some spending but raising revenues so that we could avoid drastic cuts in in really key areas, we just cut spending and we cut taxes across the board. And then on top of that, we instituted a corporate tax subsidy program that doled out over nine billion dollars in subsidies uh, to already very wealthy corporations and just you know sort of started engaging in this. Uh, race to the bottom system where I think the the most popular uh, example that everybody's familiar with is Amazon mm-hmm. basically trying to play every city in the country against one another, saying who's gonna give us the best deal you know, to come to your city. And New Jersey was giving out these these subsidy deals to corporation after corporation uh, without much scrutiny. Um, and usually, you know, if you want to give this entire enterprise and initiative, you know the benefit of the doubt you would say okay if you're going to do this like at least require them to make it clear that they need this subsidy to operate you know in your city or in your state you know make it make make them lay out how they're gonna you know improve the economy how many people are gonna they're gonna hire what you know what what they're gonna pay what benefits they're gonna provide all that type of stuff new jersey wasn't even doing that we were just saying hey do you really need this and they were like yeah and we're like okay And that was, there was like no actual like follow-up. There was no like verification, you know, multiple companies used the same address in some city in New York. I forget which one uh, to use, using that address to threaten to leave to say, Oh, well, if you don't give us the subsidy, we're going to go here. And so we were just operating this program, just giving away billions of dollars to companies just because they said that they wouldn't come if we didn't give it to them. And so under the, our current governor he's really cracked down on this practice and now you have it is the economic development authorities been operating the program and now you have uh folks in place there who actually do follow up uh, home there's you know the, the the popular case in the state here now is home depot had said oh if you don't give us funds you know we're not, if you don't give us a subsidy we're not going to come to new jersey we're going to go to like the middle of nowhere pennsylvania and the folks were like uh you know considering new jersey's access to ports and markets we just don't believe you and yeah, they were right. They called their bluff and home people came up came to New Jersey anyways, didn't need the subsidy. You know, they, and if we had given it to them, it would have been hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidy. And so yeah. we we are wasting money. And a lot of people will say, Oh, you're not you're not actually spending money because you're not giving them tax subsidies. You're not giving them tax dollars, but no, we are we're for we're foregoing tax dollars. We're saying, Hey, you can come here and we're not gonna collect tax dollars from you, right? And so we are basically just subsidizing corporations. To do what they were already gonna do for the most part. And, you know, in the off chance that they weren't gonna do it, okay, maybe that's five to 10% of the time. That's not enough of a reason to continue to to do this. And that is sapping our ability to invest in education, healthcare, transportation, any of the things that we want to talk about, hot, you know, housing programs, et cetera. And so, yeah, my my major change would be, you know, Aaron gave that crazy stat about how much we give to corporate subsidies Mm -hmm. at the national level, but I would actually pass a law at the federal level saying there cannot be any more competition between states oh, for attracting corporations through corporate tax subsidies, right? Because it's a race to the bottom. If New Jersey says, "Hey Amazon, I'm going to give you 5 million a year to come here," and then New York says 6 and then Connecticut says 7, and then you just go down and down and down, and it's just this awful awful practice that all we're doing is bending over backwards to serve already wealthy Corporations. Amazon could go anywhere in the world. Amazon could operate from Mars if it wanted to, right? They don't need our money uh, to operate in our states. But currently, that is, that is something that most states are, are, are engaged in, and it's just wasting money at the detriment of our general welfare. Because at the end of the
0: day, it's not subsidies that attract companies. It's people. And that's why the best economic right. development program that we can invest in is education. And the Nordic countries used to play this game, I think in like the 70s or 80s, where they gave these massive subsidies, um, you know, to these co- to these companies, it did not help their economy in any way, they reformed their system, they now I'm sure they still do it somewhat, but they do it way less than than they used to. And the Nordic countries, as I said before, are some of the most competitive places in the world, proving you don't need uh, these, these business tax incentives to attract companies, you need your people, you need to invest in people, uh, and that's where social programs and education and healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera come in. That's what we even
1: in. E- even the Amazon example, right? New Jersey offered up seven billion dollars to Amazon, <laughs> and Amazon ended up going to Virginia, which I think I, gave, I think Virginia gave them two billion. Western, or something York, like yeah. that. But like Virginia, they went to Virginia because of Virginia's assets, because Virginia right. was close to D.C. And because it's got a highly educated population and it's got pretty good schools comparatively, right? New Jersey has a lot of those things too. Like we're close to New York. We have really good schools. We have access supports in like international markets. Like bet, you know, as long as you have the assets, right. bet on yourself. Stop like, you know, giving up and saying, oh, we're not good enough. Screw that. What, what's the point in having the top notch, the top, you know, K through 12 education system in the country, if we're not going to leverage it, what's the point in having, you know, while it's on, you know, a tough, tough go here right now, New Jersey Transit, which is a public transportation system to move people throughout the state. Most states don't have public transportation systems the way we do. Why are we not leveraging that? We we like play down and like talk down our assets and say, oh, the only way anybody's going to ever come here is if we pay them to come here. That's so nihilistic. It's so defeatist. And I friggin hate it.
3: Just New Jersey just needs like a little confidence boost, a little pep talk, Brandon. Just let them know.
2: Maybe, maybe um, you should introduce Stuart Smalley to New Jersey. Let Stuart in New Jersey have a conversation.
1: You're good enough. You're smart enough. And people like you. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, to jump back to the original question, though, Brandon, for me, yeah. uh, for me, the answer to this all starts at political reform. I think if if we've learned anything about our existing system, it's that the system isn't broken. It's fixed. And that's the problem. Hmm. And so until we actually enact systemic structural political reform, all these other things are going to be very, very difficult. It's one of the reasons why I was such a fan of Elizabeth Warren's campaign. I thought she did a great job of talking about all the different ways that corruption is deeply embedded into the system and the outcomes and the negative outcomes that are uh, caused for so many people because of that. And so for me, it's hard to deal with how do you reform the free market? or our marketplaces, unless you also deal with reforming the political system, because the incentives in the political system are such that it makes it very difficult to actually deal with any of these massive questions.
1: Yes, agreed. There's actually a great book, I might have mentioned it before, called Soft Corruption, How Unethical Conduct Undermines Good Government, and Like what we can do about it. It's written by... Um, the son of a former Supreme Court justice, I forget who, William Schluter, so I guess Justice Schluter. Um, But he, William Schluter, used to be a representative, a state representative in New Jersey. And every example in his book comes from New Jersey. (laughs) And it's, you know, things that are technically not illegal to do, but clearly unethical, clearly corrupt, clearly things we should not be incentivizing. Uh, But I couldn't agree more, Oren, that just the incentives that too many elected officials have to make the wrong decision or to not be beholden to the desires and the needs of the electorate are, are terrible. And the perfect example is New Jersey, you know, a millionaire's tax pulls over seventy five percent or even make it national, like right? gun control and, and gun gun reform and the regulations pull over eighty percent, maybe ninety percent. And those things still don't happen because the incentives of our of our system are are so warped and so uh, 100% agree. Does anybody have any one last thing to add? And then we'll go to new favorite
0: things. I'll just say, if America wants to be a country of family values, they should put their money where their mouth is and invest in families. That's what it all comes down to. Stop being hypocrites.
1: Amen. Yeah. child Childcare Especially
2: child. I'm with. I'm with you on that. I mean, if you if you just if we could imagine for a second having a long term strategy towards this, what you would do over time you would make sure that every community has access to clean water, clean air, nutritious food, healthcare, social work, and good schools. What a that color. combination alone, I know, so, such a socialist, that combination alone would ensure that young people are developing in healthy ways, are being educated, have the right nutrition for their growing minds, and 20 years from now as they enter the workforce, we'll reap the benefits.
1: Yeah, that long-term thinking though is hard for our our, our political system. I isn't? need it tomorrow. <laughs> they rather they rather you know do a ribbon cutting to put up you know an arena that's not going to do anything for anybody. Cough cough, American Dream mall. Cough cough, um, <laughs> and avoid investments in schools that will pay off in you know over the next ten, fifteen, twenty years for According sure.
0: According to every study um, ever.
1: <laughs> anyways, new yeah. favorite thing, Oren... What's your new favorite thing from the last time we we spoke?
2: My new favorite thing is the way that professional sports leagues are artificially pumping in crowd noise into their broadcasts. I just think <laughs> it's really entertaining. I was watching. I, I've only watched like seven minutes of sports since sports came back, but I was really entertained mostly by the fact that there were crowd noises and chants and boos. And I'm like, but there's no one there. How are they doing this? I was very. Entertained
1: have you by seen? It. Have you seen Fox has try to include not to great success yet but maybe they'll get there like um 3d crowds in the yep. stands sometimes wow. yeah yeah which like is they react what like I'm... two seconds late to everything so what so i it's...
2: really want to know is can they bring back harry Carey?
1: <laughs> harry is gonna be a tough one but if they can do a tupac they can do a harry Carey.
3: what's the psychology of that that's amazing
1: I think, I mean, I'm a little worried about it because I think it's just a huge attempt to make everything look normal and things are not normal, so we should not be trying to. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, good one. I like that. Aaron, what's your new favorite thing? Two words. Electric scooter. Um, yeah, you bought one. I bought one
0: and I actually bought two. Um, what? <laughs> one, for, one for each foot. One that kind of goes like off-road and the other one that I ride in the street. And it's interesting situation because when I drive in the street, even if I'm on the sidewalk or sorry, the side of the street, uh, people honk at me, they curse at me. And then if I'm on the sidewalk, uh, people curse at me too. So you're pretty hated when you're an electric scooter rider, but I really love it and I'm having a lot of fun. And
1: you're not talking about like a Vespa, like you're talking about like the stand-up scooter. Yeah, yeah, the stand-up scooter. Um it's the nice. it's it's a they, ton of fun.
3: They had to get mind. rid of the Vespas already.
1: What do you mean get rid of the Vespas?
3: Because two people died. Where? In New York. They, 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 they banned
0: vets. the Revel Scooter. Oh, I didn't know the there scooter? were rental Vespas. I, 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 the fifty six hundred pound SUVs are fine, but no revel scooters.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well that can you know. easily be my new favorite thing. I was so jazzed about trying one of those and just like living out some sort of european fantasy of all the outdoor eating and riding around on my little vespa and
0: sorry so, katie not enough boy. not enough pollution not dangerous enough
1: you gotta you gotta come here with an suv we should have one of our friends who works in transportation in new york come on and just scream about bike bike lanes oh please <laughs> yeah katie your favorite thing mm.
3: My new favorite thing is the simple joys that have returned in this time, like watching adults chase after the ice cream truck. <laughs> and wow. Just, the, just like the simple joys of a soft serve and eating tacos outside. And that's that's my new favorite thing. That's so zen.
1: New, Some normal, normal mailer shit. Yeah. I feel relaxed already. (laughs) That's some Americana for you. All righty.
3: Um, Yeah, cue the flag waving in the
1: background. (laughs) Cue the jingoism. For me, I was actually off this week on a staycation. It's the first break I've taken since uh, over like two years. So it was nice. And my new favorite thing that I did during much of this time was playing the last PS4 exclusive for the generation until PS5 comes out at the end of the year. Ghost of Tsushima, a wonderful game about being a samurai during the invasion of Tsushima by the Mongols, and you have to take your island back. Uh, it's a wonderful open-world game, very well done. Sucker Punch, good job. It's got a ton of buzz on the internet. I've tweeted about it a few times. Very gorgeous pictures, but uh, really good game. I feel like a, I feel like a samurai. You get to do like standoffs and like do like like I get to like prepare my sword and have somebody come at me and beat everybody up. What's your sword of choice? Uh, you only get to use a katana, however, you get to there's like 40 different ways to house your katana Mm
3: -hmm.
1: in very different artistic ways. And so that's probably the most boring new thing, but for people who know Ghost of Tsushima, they're they're pointing, they're pointing like Leo DiCaprio in that Tarantino movie be like, yes, that. So I should it. hold
0: one of those while I'm riding around my scooter. For
1: effect. A Katana? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Why not?
2: I literally have no all idea right. what any of that just was.
1: <laughs> Don't worry. You're doing much more important things with your life than I am over this past week. And I appreciate all of you very much. Thank you for the conversation. We'll be back in like two or so weeks uh, and hopefully all of you continue to do well. Be safe, be happy, be healthy.